our deepest fears that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Welcome to our festive Power Cut series, where the Inside Influence team and I take a six-week pause over Christmas to reset, read, recalibrate, and generally refill our creative tanks. Oh, and you know, we'll probably eat a few mince pies while we're at it. To keep you fueled while we're gone, we have traveled back through the archives and pulled out six of our favorite Inside Influence episodes from over the past year. We have then taken those and cut them down even further into the most powerful moments all of which I can say, hand on heart, have radically changed how I have shown up, led and influenced over the past 12 months. No fluff, just 20 minutes of solid gold wisdom. If you're new to the Inside Influence community, enjoy the ride. If you're a long-time listener, these moments, I promise you, are so worth a refresh. Today's Power Cut is with Julia Da. Julia is a managing director and partner at the Boston Consulting Group and the founder of BSmart, BCG's Behavioral Economics and Behavioral Insights Initiative. Julia's mission is to enable leaders in government and the private sector to apply the science of behavior change across a range of social service topics, including economic development, finance, education, criminal justice, and welfare. Her two TED Talks on how to have constructive conversations have had, at last count, over 10 million views. She was also, no small thing, a world school debate champion three times. So it's safe to say that she knows a fair amount about crafting a successful argument. However, what drew me to Julia wasn't actually her ability to persuade. Although, as you're going to hear, she is very persuasive but instead the vision that she has dedicated her life and career to driving, which is how as nations, teams, and families, especially over Christmas, we can start to disagree more productively. In this part of our conversation, you're gonna hear us discussing why finding a shared reality is critical to disagreeing more productively. Essentially, talking about the facts that we agree on first before moving into what we disagree on. Respectful listening. What does it look like and what are the rules? Including, rather than saying, I hear you, we need to start learning how to say, I am listening. Plus, how to deal with power imbalances, including how to interrupt people clearly, but with respect. If you enjoy this Power Cut episode and want to hear my full conversation with Julia, check out episode 140, I think, on either my website, juliemasters.com or any of your usual podcast hangouts. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the Power Cut of my conversation with the incredible Julia Da. It's actually really an um, an amazing intersection between your world and mine because you know the in my world you take an idea exactly what you talked about you take a shared reality you take an idea that everybody can agree on and then you overlay it with a challenge of assumption about that idea and you twist and you frame on that idea 
And that is what, I mean, that's also storytelling. You know, that is what captures people's attention. So you start with the agreement. We all agree on this now. Okay, but here's a, here's a flip. Here's a flip for you. And by starting with the place of agreement, and I actually talk about that when I train people to give big presentations, you start with commonality. Start with a question or something that's going to get everybody in the room, agree, everybody on the same page, and then you can drive the conversation forward from there. Get us to agree that we need to be here and that we, we have things in common, which is very similar again. Um, let's just talk about, let's dive into that shared reality piece. Um, why is starting with a shared reality so important? There is a tendency in the human brain for people to say, if I, if there is someone that I disagree with about something, then we're, we're like facing off on opposite sides of something, right? The street uh, table, uh, whatever else. And what I'm hoping to do, I, I think the idea of negotiation is that eventually we meet in the middle. Obviously not what we like secretly are saying is like, you're going to come, you're going to recognize how wrong you are. You'll like say how wrong you are and apologize for that. And like come across the streets over to my, like, this is everyone's, this is everyone's secret dream. It's not realistic. It's not, it's not a realistic goal. It's also not a helpful goal in terms of respecting where that person might be at. So if instead we can say, like, what do we agree is true? Do we, do we, like, do we have respect for facts and what can we agree are facts in this situation? You've sort of moved the orientation from saying, let us face off against each other to let us face towards the problem. Like we are, let us sit side by side. I'm not saying that we're in agreement. I'm not saying we see the world the same way, but let us, can we at least agree to face the problem rather than facing each other? And that says, firstly, this is, it's no longer about you or me. It is about whatever we are trying to solve. And we are, it gives you a little bit, um, of, I guess, productive detachment from your own identity around it. I think it's also, it can be for people who we are in really long relationships with, right? Think about like family members, like every holiday, like we're going to go through this like one more time. I just can't, I just can't, I just can't do this again. It can be really helpful to say, to remember there's a person here. There's a person here. Um, who has their own set of needs, preferences, hopes, dreams, desires. And if we can talk about like, what are the dreams that we share? What are the hopes that we share? Then maybe you can start to make a little bit more progress. I think sometimes, and this is, I think it's really understandable um, that people say there are people who have views and express views that are wildly objectionable to me that in many cases are hateful and offensive. And if, if I were to do what you are suggesting, um, you're, you're giving dignity to those views. You're, you're allowing the acceptability of those views alongside one another. And that's not, I think, the goal of what you're trying to do here. It's not that all views are equally like equally worthy of a hearing. Um, it's not that like the, there are facts and, and there are opinions and those two things are not the same thing. They're not equally worthy in how we make decisions. But just because you have said to someone whose views that you, you might find in general wildly objectionable, are there places where we have agreement? 
it's not an obligation to accept everything else that that person believes. Mm, but it gives you a foundation, right? Even if it's a foundation to say, you know, these, this is where we come together. And at this point we diver- at this point we diverge. And, and that's okay, you know, let's pass me some bread. <laughs> you know, like, but, but in these points we come together enough to be able to share a meal, enough to be able to coexist in a family, enough to be able to, you know, we, sh- we share these common things. And here, you know, here we come apart, but, but we share these things. To discuss, I find to discuss shared caring really powerful. You know, when my husband and I are disagreeing about a, a strategy for the kids or a plan for the kids or you know, to discuss shared caring, like we both, we both care deeply about our daughter's ability to be able to thrive. Let's start there. And to, to express that first, just, I don't know, emotionally brings you both together on the same side. And then the rest is just tactic after, after that point. Um, I, I also want to just touch on respectful listening because I feel like, and maybe it's because I've been watching the debates recently, I feel like we've lost a, a commonly agreed upon definition of what that looks like or should look like. Um, so I'm going to ask you, what does respectful listening look like? If you were to think about how you might structure a conversation or a meeting that has norms of respectful listening, what would you say? I think you would say, one person speaks at a time. We listen to people with the same intensity, regardless of their level of seniority. But you might also say we recognize that people have different amounts of expertise and experience that they're going to draw from in this conversation. You might think about the difference between a politician and a physician in some of the conversations about COVID, right? People have different amounts of expertise and we should make room to clarify that. And then I think respectful listening is also being able to say to people, here is what I, here's what I understood you to have said not let me not let me play back to you what you said but here's what i understood you said and the if that is not what you're intending to say like the the fault is on my side for not having properly um assimilated what you were like the messages that you were sharing and i think it is also not just waiting for your turn to speak or your turn to respond, but knowing really genuinely approaching it in a spirit of integration of saying, I'm trying to integrate what you are saying into what I'm saying. I'm not just waiting. I'm not, I'm not just waiting for it to be my turn. And I have in general found it helpful in terms of soliciting people to say more in very charged situations. People often say, I hear you. And I think that can be quite dismissive. It's not intended that way usually, but it's often read that way. It's like, I hear you. Like, it's like, is it my turn? Yes, yes, I have. I yeah, it's right. I hear you and that I, I hear you. Like, now, exactly. Now, now it's my turn. Um, and instead, just actually saying to people, I am listening. And if you think about people where you have wild disagreements, you probably don't want to say, I hear you, because you might think that has an implication of, I agree with you. You might not want to. You might not want to play back what they said because you might say it's really objectionable. Or I don't. I don't want to give credence to it. 
But something that you can always say is, I am listening. And just how powerful that one sentence is in all situations, like from your personal life to your professional life. I'd never thought about the distinction from, you know, I hear you to I am listening. Just I want you to know that I am listening. And a completely wild segue, but when I was giving birth to my son, there was a lot of things that were going on medically at the time. There was a lot of people in the room. Um, there's a lot of like machines and, and noise. And, you know, in the midst of all of that, there is me just very focused on, on what I have to do and trying to communicate, you know, in between like half breaths, in between contractions. And I remember um, a midwife just crouching near my head because I couldn't even lift my head, crouching near my head and saying the words, I am listening to you. I am listening. And just how powerful that was for me in that moment for someone to say those words because, you know, you can feel like you're just drowned out by, you know, and not just in that situation, but in lots of situations, you're just drowned out by the amount of stimulus and sound and opinions going on. And that's such a like powerful demonstration of very quiet leadership from her as well, right? Because um, it's not as though, there was no offer. There was no, like, I'm, I'm going to make all of these people shut up. There was no, like, here are the specific, there's no plan that here are the specific things that I'm going to do. And you can think about a situation that might be, like, very charged. Um, there might be a lot of disagreement. People might want to do, want you to do something that you're not able or willing to do in that moment. You're just saying, I am listening. Like, that's, that is what we yeah. can always offer someone else. The dignity of someone's voice, to give them the yeah. dignity of their voice. Um, which leads me kind of to my next question, which is around power and balance. Um, I was talking to a lawyer recently and she, we were talking about using her voice more. And she was saying sometimes she was like, there's just no room. Like there's, I don't want to interrupt people who are more senior than me. Um because they are like full on in cadence, like, you know, in a rhythm, like full steam ahead. She's like, I have an opinion, but there's like, how do you interrupt somebody respectfully if, you know, you're just getting no airplay at all for your opinion or expertise? I I mean, I gave her the, I gave her some advice, but you would be, I would rather she ask you. So I ask on her behalf. I'm I'm super I'm super curious to hear what you said, but there are a few things. The first, and it's so important to call out that if you are the person in that situation with more agency, more power, you have to constantly remind yourself there are some people who get interrupted more than others. Um, in general, in most situations, those people are women, they're people of color, they're younger people or people in the organization with less formal authority. And so even if you say to yourself, I'm like, I wouldn't do it. I'm a very kind person. You probably do do it and just remind yourself that you do it. And for those people, the second thing that's going to be really tempting for you to do is to say to those people, oh, just like stop me when I do it. Tell them, call me out on it. Stop me when I do it. Or just just keep talking. Exactly, exactly. And that's not a reasonable, it's actually not even a very respectful request to make of people because often those are people who work for you. It's not something that's practical to do in the moment. And after the fact, if you call people out on it, that's a brave thing to do for any of you who have done that. People will usually say, oh, I'm I'm really sorry. But my my thing was very important. The the moment was very urgent. 
whatever justification they have. So that's really important. If you have power, like use that power um, to be quieter, but also use it to actually call on people, to invite people into the conversation and not say, I'm going to say what I think and then I'm going to call on whoever. Say, Julia, what do you think? And then I, I can add some perspectives if I have anything else to say afterwards. And there is a lot of there is a lot of power in saying I, I don't have anything else to add. I thought that was well said. So that's number one. It's not super helpful for your friend in this exact situation. What um, can be done in that situation? There, so there's a tactical part of it, which is when you are interrupted, it is completely reasonable to continue speaking. And that's a real, I'm not undermining how challenging that is to do. That is a challenging thing to do. But just continue to speak at approximately the same volume, at approximately the same pace that you were before. You, you find yourself in a bit of a standoff, briefly, but only for about seven words. Right? Human beings are too awkward to keep it going longer than that. The other person is a graceful way of saying to the other person, like, I am not finished. What you are doing is rude. Uh, and inviting them to back off uh, a little bit. That won't always work. Um, if it doesn't, the other tactic that you might consider using is simply to say, I am almost finished, or just a moment, or, or you can say, Please, like, I am still speaking. Um, those of you who watched the vice presidential debates in the United States during the last presidential campaigns have, would have seen now Vice President um, Harris, then Senator Harris, do exactly this. Um, during some of the debates, you would simply say to Vice President Pence, I'm speaking, and to the moderator, I'm speaking. That, I think, is a perfectly reasonable um, intervention. The final thing that I will call out, because we all find ourselves in a Zoom world now, is the setting some norms in your meetings that this is a meeting that will use the raise hand emoji is a, and I know you're laughing, you say, I, that's so awkward. I cannot imagine it. I have a set of meetings and a set of clients that I work with where the norm, and it's a very senior group of executives, right? uh, the, the norm is that people raise their hand and they wait to be called upon and they make their observation and we move on. Some of you out there are listening and saying, oh my God, that sounds very tiresome. That sounds very slow. It is slow in a really good way. It leads to a lot of deliberation it leads to a lot of patience in the meetings. And one of the nice things that I love that happens is you, you then go in the order that people raise their hands, not the order of seniority. And you see people put their hands down and they're saying, look, like this person just made the observation that I was going to make. Like, it's, it's fine. Like my point That's has been exactly made. That's exactly what I was just thinking because that the act of raising your hand and waiting often the heat of the moment disappears and you think, actually, do you know what? That wasn't so important to add to the conversation and the hand goes down again. Right. Or my, or my point has been like roughly made by this person in the same way. I don't, I actually don't need to, I don't need to make it again. And it is, it, it's really initially uncomfortable. If you have not tried this, even if you are saying to yourself, I am a relatively junior or a relatively new person in like whatever meeting or community um, I find myself in, this is a pretty low stakes experiment that you could do tomorrow. I'm just saying, just one meeting, just try it, see what happens. And I promise you that what will happen is someone will call on you and you, people are going like, to laugh. People are going to find that strange and awkward and you can just keep doing it. And people 
will call on you and having called on you, they will then not interrupt you, right? Because they, they can't, like, how could they? Having just invited you to speak, they then can't come in over the top of you. I will note then, this is hilarious, that in, these, in this group that is a very disciplined hand raiser, when people start to feel very strongly and you know, there are many hands raised, you will see the raise hands emoji and then if it's a video conference, you'll also see people raise their physical hands. And it's just, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, yes, you're trying to express that you feel very strongly. We are coming to you. This is my red underline <laughs> highlighter version of, of my raised hand. Like a small um, child, like, like at school. Uh, like yes. bouncing on your chair. Exactly, yes. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea, or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea, or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.